I want to put out a disclaimer before we begin this episode. We will be speaking in detail about sexual abuse, which could be triggering for some listeners. Please listen at your own discretion. Early on in this season, we began to learn what life was like in the early days, around the time that Mark and Donna first began dating, leading up to when Doreen was born, on September 30th, 1975, when Mark was 19 and Donna was 16. And then when Mark and Donna got married, after which Mark lived with Donna and her family, which included her two younger sisters, Debbie and Carol. We knew that Mark was controlling, and intimidating, always telling Donna how to dress, following her around everywhere she went, and even firing a gun past her head to regain control of the room. But it was in episode 8, when we read from the Record Journal article from 2001, that we first mentioned something even more sinister, and that is the molestation of Donna's sisters, who were about 12 and 13 years old at the time. Immediately, you realize Doreen's age at the time that she went missing, which was 12, just three months shy of her 13th birthday. We also know, because this is by Mark's own admission, that he had taken pictures of her as she posed in her underwear. That is also public knowledge. It was printed in the 2001 article, but there are more factors than just age and those photos to talk about. There were signs of this type of abuse in Doreen's behavior. There was also a history of Mark and sexual abuse within the family. Um, This is a very sensitive and complex issue. That is why we're devoting a few episodes to this. We're going to hear from Doreen's grandmother, Jane Murad. We're also going to hear from Doreen's aunts again, Debbie and Carol. And we're also going to hear from a licensed clinical social worker to give her thoughts on a lot of these behaviors. Today I'm joined by Jessica Fritz-Aguire, and we're going to walk you through a lot of the signs that were going on, and we're going to start with the history. This is Season 2, Episode 18 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. Okay, Jessica is here, and we've been talking a lot about, we've been leading up to it a lot. And so I think we need to start delving in to a very touchy subject. Um, This has been a difficult few episodes to, to start work on because it is such a sensitive subject matter, but I think we need to start with the history. When I think back, to when we first met Donna and her family back in January, I think immediately of how I was interviewing Donna and I just remember the moment to this day where she said to me that maybe Doreen was pregnant. I was like so baffled by that. I was like, what a, what, what a crazy thing you know yeah I agree so when you were downstairs with Donna I was upstairs with Carol and Debbie yeah and 
that came out of their mouths almost immediately. And I saw someone recently in one of the reviews of the podcast mention that, you know, Debbie and Carol had made that accusation with absolutely no proof to base it on. But they said that to us moments before they mentioned to me that Mark was abusive. Um, I assumed physical abuse. I don't know why I assumed physical knowing what I knew about the underwear photos. But again, this is in the first few moments of meeting these women, and they were very quick to share with me that they had been sexually abused as children by Mark Vincent. Yeah, I remember when they first told that to me, too. It was kind of mentioned to me by somebody on our production team uh, that they had talked about that with you. And I guess I didn't fully comprehend it because I was like, oh, okay, well, he was an 18-year-old guy. He was just like, you know, sort of teasing these young girls, like, you know, like just, you know, messing around and not really anything serious came out of it. I thought like, okay, he tried to hit on them or something. And they immediately said to me, oh, no, no, it was more than that. But before we continue to delve into what exactly happened... I think it's important that we introduce the professional that we're going to be sharing some clips from. You spoke uh, to a licensed clinical social worker um, who's also a friend of yours. Her name is Karen Calcaterra. My name is Karen Calcaterra. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist. So a licensed clinical social worker could do a lot of different things. I do psychotherapy, so one-on-one patient, you know. Do you do a lot of work with uh, young girls? Yes. Okay. Probably more than 50% of my caseload is teenagers. And what kind of topics do you cover? Just about anything? Um, a lot of par- you know, parents, problems with parents, a lot of sex, talking about sex, losing your virginity, not losing your virginity, that kind of stuff. Um, anxiety, fear, especially since the election. Mm-hmm. Very infrequently sexual abuse because they keep it very much a secret. Okay. So if you have a kid who you think that's what's going on, it could be months, even years before they'll actually talk about it because it's so taboo. You have spoken to Karen a lot about um, the Doreen Vincent case as a whole. Tell me why you decided to bring Karen in um, for her expertise on this subject matter. Um, I think just because of that reason, I think we needed an expert on this. Um, Having never been sexually abused in my past, um, I wanted to develop a deeper understanding of what I was talking about. Um, You know, sort of get into these people's heads a little bit more and help me have more empathy for them and understand why you know, this might be a taboo subject. Um, I think there's a lot of secrets and misunderstandings and around this subject, and it needed to be given its due diligence, really. So as we look back to around the time that Mark and Donna were first together, and Donna became pregnant with Doreen, um, it's important to remember the family's living situation. Um, Everybody lived together at the same house because they were all kids. Donna is the oldest of four children. Uh, She was about 15 at the time. Uh, Debbie and Carol about uh, 12 and 13. And they also have a younger brother named Joe. Um, So everybody is living together. Parents, grandparents, they're all in one house. And when we learned this, when we first met with the family, 
we both asked Debbie and Carol to elaborate a little bit on what they meant when they said that Mark was abusive to them. At that time, they both mentioned the instance of they would be in bed sleeping and Mark Vincent would come into their room at night. So tell me your initial reaction when they first started to elaborate on the sexual abuse. I mean, honestly, I expected something more. I don't want to say graphic, but the idea of a grown man creeping around under little girls' beds at night. Um, and it, it struck me as not only is he doing something really nefarious and, and really just, I guess, evil, but the idea that he would just try to be this faceless, you know, force in the dark reaching up from under the bed to touch what he could, you know, sent a chill down my spine. These girls um, were sleeping in a bed together while their parents were working third shift. And it had already disturbed me enough that an 18-year-old man had gotten a 15-year-old girl pregnant. Um, the idea that Doreen and and Donna were sleeping somewhere and Mark used that time to go after her two sisters but to do so in such a, just a secret and quiet way, almost like he would avoid blame if he could, just that really upset me. And as we got to know the family a little bit more, um, we ended up going to Donna's house on Donna's 60th birthday party, um, which uh, you and Joe played some clips from last episode. It, it was a very, um, I mean, it was a party. So there was a lot of noise going on in the background and things like that. Um, but I do want to play a clip that uh, we recorded during that party. You can hear a lot of stuff going on in the background, but there's a lot of important details that you're going to hear. Um, within the conversation that we were all recording, all packed into this one little kitchen. And also in this clip, you're going to hear mention of a woman named June, somebody who Mark did some work for back at the time. Remember June? He used to work with June all the time. He used to go there a lot, too. She had a pond. We used to go swim in there, remember? She used to go swimming there all the time. She already did. She do lived upstairs and Mark lived downstairs. When was this? I kind of remember. We were about a, you were you were with him at the time. Um, I'm not sure. I sort of kind of do remember. I was probably around 11, 12. I was young. How do you remember? You know. She does. Looking at her like, Carol's a ninja. No, Carol's like, hey, I, mean, I, I stored everything away. I think you're right. I do. We used to go to her house because we used to go swimming. You know, we used to do a lot of work for her. Okay. No. I do remember that. Yeah, it was a bed down in the basement. We used to use the bathroom to change and do our clothes. How the hell do you remember that? Why I remember? Yeah. Well, because that's where the abuse took place. Yeah. 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 In that basement? Yes. Oh, I thought you said you were at your parents' house. She remembers that. This was, I was older. I was older. I remember that. 
that I'll never forget. Yeah, you guys got back from a trip or something. He gets we me out of bed and he tells me he got an accident. You guys got an accident. Oh, he got into an accident. I remember that accident. Like a car accident? Yeah, he hit my Yeah, but that's how he it started. He hit a car on the way back from the bar. We had went to the bar. We yeah, that's right. That's right. He went to the bar. Yeah. It's not about Aruba, he told me. Oh, no. Oh, I was no, we never went to Aruba. Oh, no. He hit the car. He hit a car and we had a, we flew down that road where the FCI is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we pulled in the driveway with the lights off and the guy went right down to us, so he got away with it. Yeah. I wanted to stop. But he woke me up that night and he told me, and you came in. And you came in and he had me in the bathroom. I don't remember, just I remember, something. I remember, I remember, I remember that. that. In the bathroom? I was drinking that day. Yeah. But it was more than that, because I remember getting sleep sometimes, and him, I told you, he knew it was him, creep around, creep around on the floor, and would crawl around, and he looks insane he does to me insane. on those pictures. Okay, so there's a lot, obviously, going on in that clip. Um, I want to kind of break that clip down just a little bit, I think we should. Um, the first thing, as I mentioned beforehand, you heard mention of a woman named June. That was Carol who mentioned that. Um, June was somebody who Mark did some work for, because as we know, Mark is a carpenter. Um, but then you heard a little bit more in there. You also heard from Debbie. And Debbie did not really remember June. Debbie remembered the abuse that happened in the bed. You heard Debbie talking a little bit more about Mark and Donna driving home. Mark had told Debbie that they got into an accident and Mark used to come into Debbie and Carol's room at night. And as you heard at the very end of that clip, Debbie saying that Mark used to, as she put it, creep around on the floor. You know, you can hear me struggling to keep up in that clip because oh, there were, what, 10 of us packed into the kitchen. Yeah, and there's a lot of little kids, kids as you heard. Yeah, <laughs> You know, and, and I think, you know, the men who are, you know, the uh, Debbie's son is there, Donna's husband is there, um, Stephanie's husband is there, and, but they all came into the story much later um, in time. So they're, you know, camped out in the living room, but it's like this big powwow around the table. Um you know, I think when she's talking about when Debbie mentions the accident, that's a story I haven't even had the chance to probe. It's something mm -hmm. that Mark was able to manipulate her into doing. But by the time we had that meeting, we knew about the creeping around the bed because I think if you'll remember, it's in that 2001 article mm -hmm. when Carol and Debbie were in their late 30s and they agreed to speak on the record, but they did so anonymously. Um, those days are done for them. They're done, you know keeping their secrets in the dark. Um, as for Carol, um, like I said, I always call Carol a ninja because she, Donna and Debbie are the talkers and Carol sits quietly and absorbs everything. And then she'll come out with something really insightful or really on point. Um, I laughed at her when she brought up June because I thought it was just an insignificant detail, but she was there to share the story of her own abuse that her sisters, I don't even think you know, remembered at that time. The thing with Carol, and you've said this multiple times, is that she she kind of hangs back and she's very quiet, but out of nowhere, she'll have a memory of something. And it's very striking because it's like a memory that 
you know, Donna or Debbie have never thought of. And you had the opportunity to talk to Carol exclusively just this week and ask her about her own experiences uh, so she could tell you from her own perspective. So here is Carol talking about when she first met Mark Vincent. Um, do you remember when you met Mark? When I met him, well, it wasn't a good thing. My sister was pregnant. It was horrible. Yeah. But she was just a kid. I was just a kid, you know? Um, she was 15, right? Yeah, she was just 15. So what does that make you, like 12? Yeah, I was 13, and it was kind of weird, you know? Yeah, what do you mean, like, you knew he was weird from the beginning? Well, after you start doing weird things, yeah. So how soon after you met him did that abuse start? Oh, God, she had she had Doreen. Doreen was a baby. Okay. She used to come up with me. My sister, Daddy used to tell me I was sleeping. Daddy used to tell me he used to come up. Then later on, it continued. Right, because I know from what I've heard from Debbie is like he used to creep around the bed. Do you remember any of that yourself? She she used to tell me. It was here again last night. So it was like we were just talking about a minute ago. Carol remembers certain things such as this woman June's house. Carol does not so much remember the abuse that took place in the bed. That's mostly Debbie who has those memories again i just find it so disturbing that it's it's in re-listening to this audio that i really realized that carol doesn't remember being in bed and being touched um in that article where debbie and carol are anonymous it says one of the sisters the younger one um that being debbie the youngest of the three um remembers at one point mark climbing on her um in his underwear um, and that no rape took place, you know, there's no penetration, but he did climb on top of her um, in his underwear. But again, just picture this in your head. You've got a grown man with a baby or a baby on the way creeping around to bed, just reaching up to touch two little girls, one of them who is sleeping and doesn't even know she's being victimized and has to be told that by her sister um, in the morning. That's just, I mean... I can't imagine how painful it would be to be sexually abused in the first place, but to have that happen while you're sleeping and can't even defend yourself is is horrifying. So to set the scene now, we've got Donna, who was 15 when she got pregnant. Mark was 18 at the time. They were 19 and 16 at the time that Doreen was born. And you've got these two younger sisters. So I want to play you a clip now of Karen Calcaterra's reaction to finding out the ages of these women at the time. Donna, when she got pregnant, she was 15, and I believe Mark was 18. And I've always said, you know... That's... Okay. There's a three-year difference between Joe and me, but we're 40 and 43. Right. Right. So the question you would ask yourself is, why would a healthy uh, 18-year-old male be interested in a young, you know, adolescent girl. Mm-hmm. Typically, they're not. Right. So, that cross, I don't know about legally, I believe legally, um, at least in the state of Connecticut, I believe the legal age of consent is 16, correct? I don't know. I think it is. 
Um, it's been a long time since I had to worry about that. Yeah, you might want to double check that because these <clears throat> things change all the time. But um, <clears throat> your typical 18-year-old, 19-year-old man is not interested in, a, in an adolescent girl. That in itself is... Well, and I think to always remember it's a it's an adolescent girl with two, you know, four to five years younger sisters. Right. And I think this is something that we we're so used to knowing this at this point that it's almost reached a point of that we we forget how inappropriate that is. Um, we forget because it's so embedded in our memory now that. You know, Donna is only 15, her sisters are only 12 and 13, and it's very easy to lose sight of that at this point, that these were not grown women, because especially we know them as grown women. We, right. we know them as very feisty, uh, very tough, very, uh, very um, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, very... Just, just just cool yeah I mean, they're cool and you know i think they've all had their own struggles but you know they're they're fun they love each other they have a great family relationship you know they bust each other all the time um they bust us mm -hmm. um you know when we met donna she was on the verge of 60 years old and we remember donna is doreen's mother and mark is doreen's father and you know, we say Donna was very young when this happened. And, you know, we never talk about Mark or his. No, that's we say Donna was very young when this happened. And we remind ourselves that she was a very young mother with another child with Stephanie. But I, giving birth, I think she was 16 years old when she gave birth. Mm -hmm. I, I know things were different in 1975, but in 2019, we have to remind ourselves that that's still very jarring. Well, absolutely, too. And I think it's very important to remember what a typical life of a teenage girl is supposed to be like. Um, Donna has told us this before that, you know, she wasn't interested in Mark from the beginning. Uh, she wanted to have fun. She wanted to hang out with her friends. And she talked often about being out with her friends and she would have to duck down because she would see Mark's car drive by. When you got to talk to Jane, who is the mother of these women, um, she talked a little bit about that too. Yeah, I always say I don't think that Jane knew what she was dealing with when Mark came into her life. And I, you know, he came into it very quickly. You know, he would, and I think this might have even been before she was pregnant, like he would drive around and she would see him and she would duck down, say she's at the McDonald's with her friend. She would duck down so he couldn't see her because he always wanted to control what she was doing. And she talked a lot oh, about... yeah, yeah. He's like, it's like, it's almost, a, it was like a stalking. I mean, he would be there all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He'd, he'd turn up in the most unusual... I don't know. I thought to myself, don't you ever work? You know, I mean, <laughs> get a life. Like what kind uh, of unusual places? Not. Like, what kind of unusual places is he turning up? Well, he would, like, if she would, no matter where she goes, she would see him. You know, she didn't say too many. She wouldn't, she never <laughs> confided me in that respect. Mm -hmm. But but I knew, I knew he was, like, a, a stalker, you know? Yeah. And then when they, then they moved into the house in Ansonia, my mother's house. <clears throat> and um, they were there, that's when they were there for a while. And he was a good carpenter, and he was starting to work on the house and doing things. And then 
the Bears got sour again, and I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I guess Donna went to work. Yep. And I don't think he liked that idea. You know, yeah, she went to work. She finally got a job, and and he just didn't like that, and he made her life miserable. And I remember when we first interviewed Donna about this, uh, she was telling us about how she did not want to be stuck at home with a baby at 16 years old. She wanted to go out and get a job. And the, from the moment that she did, he berated her constantly for it, put her down constantly. Right. Why can't you be self-employed? And she said, you know, because I don't have any skills. I'm 16. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a baby. She had to make it work with her schedule. And, uh, you know, don't forget, he was also um, very controlling of the clothes that she was wearing as well. You know, nothing. Don't reveal your collarbone. Don't reveal your arms. You know, that's uh, just his his controlling personality, I guess. Well, and it speaks to what Jane was just talking about with the stalking. She calls it stalking about three times in that clip. And I feel like, and I, I see this with all the interviews that we've been doing um, with the family. Um, everybody realizes a lot of things now in hindsight. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember having this conversation with Donna when we first met. I, I said to her, you know, Hindsight is twenty twenty. The past is immutable. Um, and I think this is something that they have to live with constantly. And I think, um, you know, it's it's I can't imagine dealing with it because you can tell that they they deal with just the memory. And it's so clear what was going on. And I think they were not even aware that you know, that of just how inappropriate it was for Mark to be following her around in his car and showing up at these random places. Right. I mean, uh, there were no stalking laws back then. Um, she said before in a clip, I think Jill and I played for you that, you know, Donna snuck out. She was, you know, your typical 16 year old. It's 1975. She wants to party. She wants to be with her friends. Um, you don't necessarily know that something is wrong. I think now, knowing what we know now, in these more modern times, there's the warning signals would be there. Um, but, you know, the seeds for this destruction were sort of already sown, and nobody really had a chance to see them. And it sounds, too, from the beginning, like, you know, Donna's not talking to her mother. Um, mother's not talking to Donna. That's a pretty typical mother-daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then she got pregnant. So, so I want to talk about June, who we mentioned a little bit, because there's there's more regarding June and what took place at June's house. Um, you first heard a few minutes ago Carol mention that that was where her abuse occurred, and Carol talked a little bit more at the birthday party about June's house. And so here's a little bit more. When he was, did he? When he was abusive, did he ever let on that that was happening like on regular hours? Was it just like everything was normal? Did he just act like? Yeah. It was cool. Like, I don't know. What do you mean by he was about the Like, did he act like there were like? No. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Because this was the abuse was mostly happening at night, right? What I broad daylight. What I know. What I know of was at night. 
And okay. that's he would act normal during the day, yes. Just like nothing was... No. Right. Like he didn't do it. And I'd pretend to because I'm like, I'm supposed to be sleeping. Want something else? And he didn't... No, I'm fine. You know, kind of shoot him away and then he'd bother her and, you know, I was kind of just like, it's not bothering me anymore, so... And you, know you said, I mean? oh, go ahead. If go she ahead. didn't wake up, and then she doesn't even know, so... Okay. That was just weird. Just a weird... In broad daylight with you, you said? Yeah. Like outside, or...? On a Saturday, no, there was that bed there. Whose house? June's. <laughs> and who... I don't know. Drew was a lady upstairs. I never. I don't know. The lady upstairs. Yeah, she stood upstairs, and I guess there was a bed downstairs. I don't know what the bed was there for. In which house was this? June's house. In New Fairfield. I don't know where the house was. I don't remember where June lived. That was Reading. I don't remember where June. Down the road from Georgia. Down the road from Georgia. I think. I kind of vaguely remember June. Now that you're saying it, sort of, kind of. Oh my God. Just to um. She's a nice lady. I mean, we met her a couple times. She'd give us something to drink every so often. That was all. I don't remember you were swimming. Huh? I don't remember you being there. A lot of times. A lot of times. Yeah. We'd go swimming. You don't remember? And now that she's saying it, I remember the name, but that's it. I don't remember another thing. Just the name. He'd keep me back. I was younger than her, so. He'd keep you back? We forgot something. He'd come back. I was still changing. So, like with the last birthday clip, there's a lot going on in that clip. Um, what would happen at June's house? You heard bits and pieces of it kind of peppered in there. Um, June had a house and she had a pond in her backyard. And um, Debbie and Carol at the time and Mark and Donna would go over to the house and they would go there to go swimming. And at one point in the clip, you heard Carol say that he would hold her back. And I think what she means by that is that Carol would go into the bathroom at June's house to change, to go swimming. And that is when Mark would come in to abuse her. Mm -hmm. And his excuse for going back into the house, as you heard her say, was that he forgot something or he had to go back into the house for some reason. And that was the point at which he would hold her back and would take advantage of her. Yeah. And again, you can hear Donna and Debbie sort of struggling with the memory of June, but it's not as significant for them as it is for Carol, because it's Burns and Carol's memory for, uh, you know, a very specific reason. Um, and you'll hear more about Mark and his his attempts to build a friendly relationship with these girls um, throughout this episode. But I remember in the first meeting, Carol and Debbie told me he would take them fishing. You know, they would go catch tadpoles um, in Huntington State Park, no less. But, you know, swimming is just another thing that he would do with them. Um, I should also point out, because Debbie pointed this out to me the other day, that, um, you know, June is another woman who Mark sort of is a hanger on with. He does work at the house. He sort of enjoys the privileges of the house. Um, and Debbie said, right, it's just like Georgia and mm -hmm. Jimmy Farnham. And I didn't even think about it until that minute when she said it. 
you know, Mark develops a relationship with people of higher means. Mark sort of becomes a hanger on to these people and he starts to enjoy aspects of their lifestyle. Um, you know, he just happened to use this aspect, June's Pond, um, to abuse a little girl. Let's go to your call with Carol when she started to explain some of the activities that they would do because they were kids at the time. They wanted to do fun things. But he was like, it seemed like he was almost friends with you guys, or at least he was trying to be. Oh, you know, he used to do all fun things. We were kids, so, you know, he had this go-kart, and we went on that, and, I mean, we'd go see, they'd take us swimming, him and Donna, you know? Yeah. We used to go do a lot with them. But that's, you know, they, they were, like, fun things to do, so, of course, we wanted to do them, but, you know, things happened during some of the things, you know? Yeah, you were saying that at Donna's birthday. was. Are you talking about June's house? Yeah, June's yeah. house. Downstairs in the basement, there was a bed. They, that he was, I guess, I, whether, I don't know whether he stayed there or what the bed was for. Okay. But it was like in a basement. And so were you, how did he get you in there? Well, I went back to the bathroom or something. I don't know, change. I had a change still. I was like the last one to change or something. Everybody had a change in one bathroom. So we went and we were changing. And he came back and he waited. Did he go into the bathroom and surprise you? Was he waiting outside the bathroom? He was waiting outside. Yeah. But the bathroom and the bedroom were like, it wasn't really a bedroom. It was like a basement. Okay. With the... it was like a finished basement, but not really finished. I don't know. It was kind of weird. Um, but it had a bed in it. I remember it was like a queen-sized bed, I, I guess, full queen. Mm-hmm. And here's more of Carol explaining June's house. And you were talking about uh, June. Was that somebody you think he was working for? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he used to do work for her, too. Was she was she wealthy? She had a house. Um, the house wasn't that nice, I didn't think. Okay. Yeah, pond in the backyard. That's where I guess we swam. I don't even know. Okay. I don't remember swimming though. I remember going there to go swimming, but I don't remember if we swam or not. Do you think maybe you might have blocked some stuff out? Maybe. Maybe we were fishing, swimming. I don't know what it was. Exactly. I remember changing. Do you remember um, this woman, June, well at all? I remember her being upstairs. And she yelled down to him a couple times. And it was during. Oh, during? Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, Do you think she knew what was going on? I don't know what she knew. No, I don't think so. Okay. It wasn't done frequently. It was just done a couple times there. Was it done elsewhere, too? No. Not that I remember, no. We also learned a little bit more about Carol during your call with her, that she was kind of an insecure child at the time. Um, We already know her to be a little on the quiet side, Mm -hmm. Um, but... Think of this as, you know, this is a young girl who's very insecure, very inexperienced. I want to play a clip right now of 
Carol talking about that time. So I don't think he was abusing Debbie in the daytime. Do you think he singled you out? Probably, because I was an easier target. Why do you think that? I don't know. Um, maybe because I was pretty insecure. I was young. Yeah. I was heavier. Okay. Okay. Did he, did he, when he was, so he's waiting outside the bathroom or he's in the bedroom. I mean, does, is he saying anything to you or is he just doing what he wants to do? I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember him coming up and kind of, I don't know. Kind of like a seduce almost. Okay. I was young. I mean, to, for that, I was just like, what? You know, I was kind of embarrassed. Yeah. You know? But is that sort of, do you think he was making you feel embarrassed because that sort of plays into his ability to take advantage of you? Probably. Yeah. And I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite, I thought it was wrong. But I was, in, you know, I'm like, oh my God, it's like, this is supposed to, what are you doing, you know? And yeah. Was he taking it further than he was when you guys were in the bed at night? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that went a little further. I just want to chime in right now and remind everybody that, you know, we're saying allegedly because these women are alleging these things, but these are firsthand witness accounts of the abuse that Mark committed against these women when they were children. Um, you can choose to believe they're not credible or credible, but... I just want you to listen to Carol's voice. She's got wide swaths of memory, you know, wiped out. She doesn't remember the swimming. She remembers the changing, and then it goes blank for her. Um, so for those of you who might doubt these accounts, um, you know, I would just ask you to do so very thoughtfully. Well, and I think it's very important to notice, too, with talking about this kind of subject matter, um, it's... Obviously, it's a very difficult thing to talk about because it's a very personal thing for people who have been through it. It can be very awkward to talk about and very embarrassing, even though it shouldn't be, um, because as we need to remember, and I think we need to remind these women too, they were the victim in this case. Carol did briefly have a boyfriend. What we were told was that Mark took it upon himself to punch this kid in the face, to beat up this kid. I was heavy, so I never really got a boyfriend. It was really hard. I had one boyfriend, and Mark punched him, and then I was a broken Yeah. So, mean. so I wanted to talk to you about that. So I've gotten bits and pieces of the story, but tell me that story from your perspective. Well, I was, I, I had a boyfriend for a little while, short time. I stayed over my girlfriend. It was my girlfriend's cousin or something. And I didn't really do anything, you know, with him, just kissed him. That was all that was. I was young. I was kind of scared to do anything, you know? Yeah. And then, um, Mark found out about it. The next day, I saw him. <clears throat> he had a black guy. A black guy, he was, he was pretty beat up, his mouth was cut. I said, oh my God. And he said, Mark, stay away from me. I said, what? Oh my God. He said, you can't be with me anymore. So that was the end of him. 
Did Mark say anything to him when he beat him up? I don't know what he said. He didn't say anymore. He was too afraid to hit Mark. Mark was an adult. He was a kid. Right. And he hit him like a man, you know? And that's the thing that I was just saying a second ago, too, that... You know, Mark is a grown man at this point, and he inexplicably goes up and just punches this poor kid right in the face for really no other reason other than just being Carol's boyfriend. Right. Um, And again, it's so disturbing to think, you know, Mark in this situation is 18 or 19. I think Carol's about 12 Mm -hmm. or 13. Um, And he's he's definitely, you know, he's treating Carol, like that's his property. Um, you know, we've, we've said that in this episode, we're not going to talk about Doreen. We're going to talk about the aunts. But I just wanted to read something that um, came to me this week over Facebook Messenger. This is a man who lives in Bridgeport and was childhood friends with Doreen when she lived there. Um, I'm sharing this with you guys, not mentioning his name, but I do have his blessing to let you know what he wrote to me. Um, he says, the guy tried to choke me once when all the neighborhood kids were playing tag. My mother screamed at him, and the cops may have been called. Um, then he says later on, as we're having this conversation, um, he says he didn't want her around boys. He acted like a jealous boyfriend. I remember when the paper came saying she ran away. Didn't seem like it was a surprise. They were very much to themselves. No kids on the block ever went in the house. I remember she had to run home when he got home from work. Was long ago, but she was a friend from the block, so I never forgot the times she was around. Um, We are talking about a man who tried to choke a little boy playing tag with his daughter. Um, Like she's his possession. Mm -hmm. And that was the exact mentality of what happened with Carol's boyfriend at the time. Um, You know, you had these, these two little kids, and I... I heard the entire phone call that you had with Carol, and at one point she does explain that, you know, this this boy was like um, her friend's cousin or something like that. Like yeah, they were did, like yeah. making out one day. Yeah, or something. like they kissed. They didn't like they were you know they were twelve, thirteen years old. I mean they weren't you know doing anything particularly graphic or anything like that. And it it I'm sorry, it doesn't matter because you know if you put Mark in the in the position of being say like a big brother and he sees his 12 year old sister-in-law or 13 year old sister-in-law you know um maybe going further than she should with a boy you know maybe he steps in um but that's not the case he wants to be the big brother with the fishing and the swimming and the go-karting um but then he's secretly abusing them he sees a boy come along and that boy seems like a threat to his i guess Quarry is the word I want to use. Yeah, it's sort of like somebody coming in on his territory, you know, like he already he already staked his claim with these girls. Right. And now somebody else is trying to make his way in. Don't forget, guys, he's home with a wife and baby Doreen at this time. And so we've been talking a lot about we've been alluding a lot to things. We haven't gotten very graphic, but. I think it's time to explain some of the things that physically happened. Now, if I mean, go as far as you want to tell me, you know, if you don't want to tell me anything you want to, I don't, I, I'm not going to push you to tell me anything, but was he 
Um, was he raping you? It was mostly oral. Okay. Making you perform on him or he's performing on you? Both. Both. Okay. Was he forcing you or was, I mean, of course he was, it was not consensual, but is he basically just, I mean, I, I would imagine there's no like. It was like a forced type thing, but not physically <clears throat> forced. It kind of felt like, I don't even know how to explain. It was like you were kind of told pretty much to do it and you did it. Oh, he told you what to do? Pretty much. I never had a boyfriend before that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that at that age, that probably was... Oh, I really had no clue what to, you know, it was all... Like they say, it's learned behavior. Let me tell you, it is. What do you mean it's learned behavior? Well, a sexual ass. If someone is sexually molested, they you know after how to do it. Yeah. Because you were taught. Yeah. Whether it was the right way or the wrong way, you were still, you know... Right. You, were, you know, you learn, learn behavior. I think that's really important to remember as we go forward with these episodes, too, about learned behaviors. So what was happening at June's house when Carol would go into the bathroom to change and when Mark would come in? Uh, he would come in and, as she explained it earlier, sort of seduce her. And she just explained to us now that what was happening there was um, he would have her perform oral sex on him, and then he would also perform oral sex on her. Um, and remember from an earlier clip, um, she did mention that June would yell his name down um, while it was going on. She's not sure if June knew what was going on, but, you know, we're talking about her sisters are waiting outside to go swimming. Everybody's in their bathing suits. It's the middle of the day, um, and all this stuff is going on. So contrast that with um, sneaky creep around the bed mark at night while Debbie and Carol are supposed to be sleeping with, you know, brazenly um, forcing a little girl to perform oral sex or forcibly um, performing oral sex on her in the middle of the day when there are people around. Um, you know, it, it sounds to me like Mark was feeling like he could be a little bit more brazen about mm -hmm. this treatment. Especially in the daytime, too, when anybody could have walked into the door at any time. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost as if like that was that was his thing. That was the 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 thrill that he got out of it. The, the it all comes back to the control mm -hmm. and the power, because that's exactly what forcibly touching somebody is and that's what any expert will tell you that rape is all about rape isn't about sex rape is about power and to go into somebody else's house in the broad daylight um when people are changing and anybody else can walk in from the outside at any time that is that is a thrill of power mm -hmm. right there and i don't i don't think that this makes it better or worse it's it's hard for me to characterize it but because it's disgusting all around but it's also his sister-in-law 
um, you know, again, with the big brother mentality, he should be in a position of protecting this girl, you know, acting like a brother surrogate, um, you know, the big brother that maybe Debbie and Carol never had. Um, but he's using that power to molest children. Now, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier today about, um, you know, pedophiles and how they really can't change their stripes and how, you know, if you if you really search yourself enough, you might end up feeling some sympathy for pedophiles because they have a sickness that they can't control. Um, but this woman was talking about pedophiles that put themselves in places of power so that they can abuse children. It's not like, you know, those who seek treatment or those who seek to keep themselves away from children. You know, someone like a Larry Nasser type character who was abusing the gymnast. You know, Mark is a person who put himself into a family with his wife, who was 15, 16 at the time, and two little girls. And I think that's the power thing as well. He knows that the parents work third shift, and he's the adult in the house. So he has the ability to control what's happening with these girls. It's also important to remember the time that this is happening, too, because, you know, this is back in the 1970s, where we're not as educated as we are now on predators and this type of behavior. It, it makes it, at the time, very difficult for these girls at the time to talk about. Right. She had no idea what he was doing or attempting to do. Um, you know, I spoke to my mother who was 18 in 1975, and I asked her, you know, what the general consensus was about pedophiles. And she said that people knew that people like that existed, but there really wasn't a phrase for it. People didn't really understand any of the science behind it or the characteristics. You know, there was a, I guess, a guy who used to drive around um, Meriden, Connecticut, my hometown, um, with a car with a license plate that I think said Guzzy or Gussie. Um, and it was just his known thing. He would, you know, pick up young boys with promises of like ice cream and candy and, and pot. Um, and then nobody really knows what happened. It's kind of this, you know, unspoken secret. Uh, but yeah, I guess, and it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around now because, you know, especially like as a parent, I'm so hypervigilant about sexual abuse, but these people really didn't know, again, what they were up against with Mark. And because of that, it didn't stop right away. This was continued behavior for for about as long as the time that Mark and Donna were married. And they were, they were legally married for about five years, but they were together for about three of those years. And there's another clip that we have here of Carol talking about a later date when she was about 17 and when Mark and Donna had a house. So was he abusing you there too at your grandparents' house? Yeah, yeah. that happened a couple of times. Now... Anymore, I drank once and that was it. I, just, yeah. I got so sick. Because you drank too much? Oh. Yeah, I never drank before. That was the first, and that was the last. How old do you think you are? Seventeen. Seventeen. He was legal age, Dad. Okay. Is he like encouraging you to drink too? Oh, shots! He had shots all set up and ready to go. Yeah. And I never drank before, so that was something totally new. Yeah, shots will get you right. Huh. <laughs> Right. Again, it was just so disgusting, the feeling. So there you have 
more control on yeah. the part of Mark. I'm going to ply you with alcohol mm-hmm. so you can write. Um, again, it's Debbie, Donna, and Carol. Mark, if Carol is 17, I'm going to say Mark's about 24. Again, way too old to be doing stuff like that. Um, plying them with alcohol. And, you know, she doesn't say it there, but, you know, the implication being that she's being sexually abused while drunk or unable to resist, really. And we mentioned before, too, the amount of guilt that these women feel throughout this story. You asked Carol if this behavior at the time was ever talked about. Did he just act in the daytime like everything was normal after it was over, like it was just nothing happened? Right. Okay. Did you try to talk to him about it? Not after and no. When it happened, that was it. There's never another word said to him. Okay. About anything. So they never talked about it. Right. And this reminds me of, you know, we've heard from a few people, including Mark to Joe himself said, you know, he doesn't need to talk about anything regarding Doreen because he's made his peace with God. Um, You know, he had the opportunity to make that confession in 2003 without full immunity or, you know, impart information about Doreen's disappearance and just chose not to. You know, the man just walks off and just he just goes on with his life like nothing's awry. This whole period that Mark and Donna are together, this abuse is happening at different periods of their life, whether it's at June's house, whether it's in the bed at night, whether it's later on when Mark and Donna have a house and he's pouring shots for everybody. You asked Carol about her feelings at the time, and she started to discuss when things started to come to an end. Do you remember what made it stop? Me, I said, that's it, get away from me. Okay. I said, that's it, you know? And then he was like, what, what? I said, no, get away from me. Was there something that you think that changed for you that made you able to speak up and tell him no? I felt so bad. I couldn't take it with the guilt of her my sister. Right. She's my husband. Yeah. And older, I'm like, wait a minute, this is gross. What are you doing? Right. You know, well, now I got to say something. I can't continue this. This is horrible. Yeah, I guess I never, because I always think of you as being, you know, what you are, the victim. And, you know, <clears throat> there shouldn't be any guilt for you, but I understand oh. why you would feel that way. Oh, it was horrible. Horrible. Happened to, you know, go through this and worry about my sister and here it is her husband and he's being a real, oh. Yeah. Oh my God, it was awful. I just remember um, when... Donna first told me about the abuse. Donna even said to me that back at the time, her initial reaction when she found out about it was, he's cheating on me. Right. That was the, the, the mentality at the time because, you know, you're dealing with adolescent girls and it's just a time in our society when this is not something that society is educated on. And here you have Carol, this young adolescent girl, feeling like she did something wrong, which is something that you see a lot with victims. Uh, you know, victims feeling like they played a part in their own abuse. And you could tell that back at the time, she was feeling 
extremely guilty about what was happening because even though she didn't have a choice in the matter, she felt like this was her just, you know, fooling around with her sister's husband. Yeah. And I think it's exacerbated by the heavy dose of manipulation, right? That he's dealing out. You hear him say when she told him to stop, you know, he says, oh, well, uh," you know, he's he's, I guess, trying to make her feel stupid or make her feel like, you know, it's not something that, you know, he's trying to gaslight her into believing that it's an okay thing to be doing, you know, put child abuse, put that to one side. But, you know, he was cheating on her sister with her while he had I mean there's there's so many tendrils of just evil around the whole thing and to try to make her feel bad about what she was doing or try to make her feel like she was complicit I think just adds to that yeah to it's trying to convince her and you know we're going to talk more about this in the upcoming episodes um, about how children who are sexually abused the manipulation that predators use on them oftentimes is well, you liked how that felt, though. You you liked it, so you must have wanted it. And I think that that's what was going on here, too. If you're getting abused, is it more likely than not going to be a parent or somebody in your household? A parent, family member, somebody you know. Okay. Um, yeah, usually it's somebody you know. The The random, like, violent acts out of nowhere are not nearly as common as sexual abuse at home or in the family or a family friend or or whatever. The reason that sexual abuse is so insidious is because there's the mixture of this parent's violating or this person close to me is violating my trust, but that makes me special Mm -hmm. in a way that makes me feel weird, but I'm being told that it's okay, Mm -hmm. but something inside me knows it's not okay. But my body's responding, so I must want to do this. Right. So it becomes this like convoluted, really messed up uh, series of uh, thoughts and thinking, and then the perpetrator plays on that to keep the child loyal and quiet. That's a clip of Karen talking about this mixture of feelings that predators often use um, to manipulate children when they're abusing them. Yeah, because I think if you start with Carol's first abuse, again, she's around 11 or 12. And then when she's telling Mark to stop, she's around 17 years old. So this had been going on for, you know, roughly six years. And it was hard to um, extricate herself from that. For her looking back now, she's absolutely disgusted. And it's, it's easy to forget that you know, she was sort of by his side through all this. She was his sister-in-law. You know, they they played with Doreen. They went and did things together. Um, but that whole time, he was using his power to to control and manipulate her. And they weren't the only victims in this, as we found out, too. I guess they finally got him a trailer to get him out of the house. And then Donna said, that's it, no more. Because she found out another girl, too. And that was the end. Oh, there was another girl? Oh, yeah. Was she a neighborhood girl? She was Debbie's age. Yeah. Okay. She was Debbie's age. I don't know if Debbie ever told you about her. No, I've never heard her name before. Um, was she a friend of Debbie's? Yeah. Yep, yeah, she was a neighborhood girl. She was up the street. How did you guys find out that he was abusing her, too? Um... I think through phone calls. I had quite around the quite around the phone with her or something. 
Now, when you had spoken to Jane, um, the women's mother, Jane had relayed a story about um, catching Mark on the phone with, as she put it, somebody that he shouldn't have been talking to. Yeah. And that takes on now. I think we just realized that today. This is why it's been so hard for us to put the sexual abuse you know, story together because there's so many moving parts. There's someone Mark shouldn't be talking to. I didn't know until I had this conversation with Carol earlier this week that that was a girl. Um, you know, we think we have our arms around a topic or a story or an episode we're going to do. And then all of a sudden something new smacks us in the face that that name you bleeped out, Sarah, I'd never heard that name this whole story. There could be other friends of friends, too, that we just don't know about. Um, because these are very young, vulnerable girls at this time. Well, and that's why I keep, I mean, I've been putting stuff out on, you know, Bridgeport sites and Wallingford sites and, you know, the places that Marcus lived in just saying like, really at first I started saying, you know, do you know this girl? Do you recognize this face? Because there are a lot of people, you know, she's, she really has been faded out. Nobody really remembers her except her family. And I wanted to reach out and see if there was anybody that could, you know, fill in some of the gaps in our knowledge. But I want to send Mark's face out into the stratosphere, too, because you know what? In this story, we know allegedly that he has abused Debbie and Carol, this girl whose name you bleeped out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll get to the allegations about Doreen, but um, that's three little girls that we were talking about. And that was 40 years ago. Here's a little bit more on just the mentality, as we spoke about just a second ago, the mentality of this type of abuse back during that time. Did you guys decide you were going to call Mark out on it? Like, how did you handle it? Well, my, we told my mother, eventually, it was like, Ma, he keeps coming, you know, he keeps coming in the room, you know? Right. Now, did he ever... What do you mean? And of course, back then, they just kind of dismissed it. I was marriage, fragments. You know, it was kind of a, something you just dismissed, I guess. I don't know. Well, you know, for me, it would have been a big thing. But back then, it was like something you kind of swept under the carpet. You know, it'll go away. It'll go away. When I talked to your mom, um, she seemed like she was scared of him. Well, I think we all were somewhat, you know, and I still am. And she even says it in there, too, that if this had happened today, it would be a big deal. But she comes right out and says it back then. You just swept it under the carpet. Yeah. I mean, back then it was something you kept in the dark. And I think that's why there's so much of a misconception about the statute of limitations for crimes like these. I know that the Connecticut state legislature just extended the statute of limitations for sexual assault cases right now, as far as child sexual abuse is concerned. Um, it's my belief that Connecticut has one of the best statutes in the country. Um, and you get 30 years after the age of maturity to report sexual abuse you suffered as a child. Now, I don't know why they don't just say age 48, but that's what it is. You have until age 48. Um, and Debbie and Carol are in their mid fifties now and they never made a formal report. So there are some people, you know, who are listening to this. There are some people that have said to me personally that maybe we shouldn't take Debbie and Carol um, on the uh, for face value, their allegations, um, because they didn't make a formal report. But I think that's obscuring the real issue. Well, I think also, too, that we need to remember that there are many assaults that never go reported. But I believe 
every victim because it's a very terrifying thing to tell the world something like that. And there's a lot of shame that goes with it too, um, especially back then because I mean, if there's if there's shaming now and victim shaming now, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's a whole nother world back in the seventies. Oh, most most certainly. And I've somebody sent in a reader question um, a while back, and they said. Uh, you know, why is Mark allowed to work at a place like Teen Challenge without a background check? Um, You know, they check for uh, my understanding with Teen Challenge is they check for child sexual assault and abuse and they check for arson. Um, The arson was, um, I believe, when he was a minor and none of the child sex abuse crimes have ever been reported. As far as we know, there might be something we don't know about, but just because something isn't officially on the record doesn't make it any less true. So here's the point that Carol tells you about how she and her sister Debbie approached their mother about this. Do you remember when um, you told your, did you tell your parents or did you guys tell your mom? How did that happen? Debbie told my mother. Okay. And then she looked at me, my, I was standing there, and she looked at me, she said, you too? And I just shook my head, yeah, that was it. I didn't want to talk about it. What was and your mom's reaction? Like, That's it. Next thing I know, he was moving out. They kicked him out? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember how, um, how your, pa- tell me how your parents reacted and then tell me how Donna reacted. Donna was, she was so freaking young. I think, I don't think she cared. She just wanted him to go away, you know? I remember Donna saying this herself too. When it got to the point where Mark got kicked out, Donna's feelings towards Mark were just, get away from me, I can't stand you. Um, And I think that was just kind of the only resource that the family had. It's like we don't have the same kind of laws back then that we have now. Um, Really, back then, your only option was to just, just say, okay, well, you're out of my house now. There's not, because there's not... We don't have the same kind of resources for victims back then that we have now. That's right. And again, I just I keep going back to, you know, Debbie saying, um, you know, he he was touching Carol and me in the night, but Carol was sleeping. And, you know, I didn't know if she knew and I was supposed to be sleeping, so I didn't say anything. And, you know, Jane said Donna didn't speak to her about these kinds of things. It just wasn't something that was shared. But I think the audience needs to know. I wish we could find the audio on this because there's just too much audio, guys. Um, When Debbie first told her parents about the abuse, um, they kicked Mark out. And Mark went to Debbie with what Debbie remembers to be about a couple hundred dollars. Now, again, it's, you know, where where are we in time? Maybe 1980, we're saying, Mm -hmm. um, to bribe Debbie to tell her parents that she was wrong and that she had lied. Um, so again, you're throwing on that good, healthy dose of manipulation and control. Um, Debbie said, you know, I took the money. I was 12. Um, money looked good. It was like, I, you know, and when she originally told me this story, I thought, what'd she get in 20 bucks? Right. 30 bucks. It was like $200. She went to Donna and said, um, Mark didn't molest me the way that I told you he did. And Donna looks at her and said, I know my husband and I know my sister and I know that you're telling me the truth and he's not, um, you know, which is, I think, a bright spot here, which in a topic that's just really hard to talk about because, you know, he had them 
captive for so long. I think they were all afraid of him. And you and Carol even discussed that. What about your dad? How'd your dad feel about it? I don't think mom told him. Really? No, we didn't tell him. Because she would have been so mad. Yeah. Because when did your dad pass away? Five, six years ago. Okay. Okay. And have you ever talked, I mean, I know we've brought up all this fresh stuff, but um, how often do you talk to your, your mom about this kind of stuff? Doreen and Mark in general. Oh, it comes up every so often. Okay. Every so often we talk about it. We didn't talk about it tonight. I talked to her for a while. You talked to her the other night, you said? I talked to her tonight, but we didn't talk about that. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what the funny thing is about your mom is like, I, I, I don't even remember who I said. I said, oh, you sound just like it was either Carol or Debbie. And she said, oh, everybody tells me I sound like the other one. And I said, she sounds like the three of you. It's amazing. She does. It sounds a lot like Debbie, I think. Does Debbie. she? Me and Debbie. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a hot shit. I really liked her a lot. <laughs> she uh, she kept kind of yeah. like challenging me. She's like, I know you have more questions. Keep talking, young lady. Put your detective <laughs> hat on. She's funny. Um, oh, my gosh. But I feel like she feels guilty, too, because she didn't necessarily... I, I just don't think your mom understood what she was up against. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're saying with that. She was afraid of him, too, I think. You know, as much as she tried to act tough, she, you know, I think she was a little fearful of him. I think the whole entire family, as they said, they were all afraid of Mark. Yeah, it's a whole family. And, you know, I know Doreen is gone. We don't know what happened to her, but... You know, we're telling you the story now of four women that still live in fear. Well, maybe not Donna, <laughs> um, but that's something that they're carrying around. And it's it's hard when Mark is out there just walking around like nothing ever happened. And I think that's sort of been just Mark's M.O. throughout this entire episode that we've done throughout the whole history of everything that's been happening. Mark does things in secret that only he knows about and goes out and into the world each day and lives his life as if nothing ever happened. And if you call him on it, you know, he's yeah. going to get he's going to get angry and he's going to deny. And I don't I don't know if it makes a den. I don't really know if it, it strikes him how much fear and pain and misery he's caused people. He's definitely somebody who throughout at least the past 40, almost 50 years has, he's hurt a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. This has been the history portion of the sexual abuse. It's really important to remember how this all started. We've seen a lot in the articles, the newspaper articles and such. There's the newspaper article where they say that they think that Doreen may have been pregnant, but understand that it doesn't come out of nowhere. This is a guy who had a history of abuse, and you have four women here who can remember it firsthand. Yeah, um, you know, for, for people that want to claim that we're speculating, that has just become a real, you know, thorn in our side because we are speculating based on what we are given by, you know, living, breathing women 
who have lived through this story and can offer us their own take on it. You know, a pregnancy allegation does not come out of nowhere. And, you know, I think we're going to need at least one episode, Sarah, to treat Doreen's, you know, potentially her abuse. Um, We don't have anything we can prove, but we definitely have signs that we'll be discussing with Karen. But we wanted you to have that in the context of what kind of person this man is um, with Doreen's mother and her aunts. And I think that in the next few episodes, you're going to start to notice a lot of the parallels between some of the signs that Doreen had been exhibiting at the time, between some of the things that we just talked about in this episode. Debbie's memories and Carol's memories. And bear in mind that they have two separate memories, one stronger than the other. Debbie vividly remembers him coming into the bedroom at night, whereas Carol vividly remembers him during the daytime coming into the bathroom at June's house. So it's almost like there's not a specific MO or yeah. anything like that mm-hmm. that we can nail down. Um, it's more, if you wanted to describe it, I think it was he saw an opportunity. Right. And, you know, we've done these hours of interviews to try to get it's like a character study right we Mm -hmm. are trying to develop a sense of who these women are who Doreen was um and who her father Mark is um and we'll so we'll also be discussing those efforts and how the Wallingford Police Department has been very reluctant I think to um accept or even care to discuss our findings with regard to sexual abuse and maybe, you know, a pregnancy storyline. But that's going to have to come later, unfortunately. And as we talk about the signs, too, we do have audio from the classmate that we've talked about a lot in previous episodes. Um, We do have the actual audio from that classmate. So we will begin in the next episodes to share that audio Um, talk about some of the things that Doreen talked about at the time. We can talk more about uh, her teachers back then, some of the things that the teacher remembers that Jessica spoke to. When you put it into the context of the things that we shared with you today, um, it's it's too much to be a coincidence. It's Mm -hmm. just there's a lot of things that we know based on stories told to us by Donna and Debbie and Carol and Jane. And when you put that up against some of the things that Doreen was saying and some of the behaviors that she was doing at the time, it, it it's just, it's too much to be a coincidence. And um, I think you're going to start to see that as these particular episodes unfold. Yeah, guys, I mean... I'm not trying to be blasé about it, but buckle up. It's it's a tough ride. So thanks for sticking with us and listening today. This has been tough. We know it's been really tough on us. Um, we're sorry about the delay in getting you episodes. But, you know, we wanted to be, um, I think, insightful mm-hmm. and intelligent about it um, and sensitive. And we hope that we have been. Um, you know, feel free to let us know if you have questions, but, um, you know, we're going to be treating this subject, um, with, with great, you know, depth and sensitivity, we hope, um, for the next few weeks. Also, I just want everybody to keep in mind too, that we got a little graphic today, but, um, 
as you heard Jessica say, it's it's going to get a little tougher to listen to. So I just want to put that warning out there um, that we're going to be dealing with some heavy stuff. Um, so I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you to Jessica Fritz-Aguire for coming in and talking today. My pleasure. Of course. And we will be back with episode 19, where we will begin to discuss the signs in Doreen's behavior. This has been season two, episode 18 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.